inside your service sheet, you can see that there's plenty of space this morning to take down any notes, write down any comments uh, you have. And after the, the message this morning, there'll be a discussion, question and answer time. So uh, listen up well. And if there's anything that you would like clarified or a question that you would like answered, uh, then utilize that time. We're thinking about prayer. So what better way to begin the message this morning than by praying? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. A memorable moment in Australia's more recent sporting history was the success of this young lady. Does anybody know who that is? Put up your hand, tell me, who, who is it? That is exactly right. That is Sally Pearson, one of Australia's greatest athletes, and she was famous for winning the gold medal in the Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games, the women's 100-metre hurdles. An incredible feat. I don't know about you, but I have enough trouble on the best of days of running in a straight line without any hurdles uh, in my way. And life is a little bit like a running race, isn't it, at times? There is a destination that we're heading to. But there are often hurdles and obstacles to overcome on the race of life, isn't there? It's not always smooth and bump-free, life is, isn't that right? And maybe you've experienced lots of hurdles in your life. Uh, maybe there are some that are right there in front of you at the moment and you're feeling like, how on earth am I going to get over this next thing that's in my life? Uh, sometimes there are obvious hurdles that we can see, can't we? But then there are other hurdles that will no doubt continue to come our way. We don't even know them yet. We can't even see them. They're in the distance, but they're, they're still going to be there. And sometimes even in our relationship with God, as good as it is to know God as our Heavenly Father, to be able to hear from Him through His Word, to be able to talk to Him in prayer, we know that that's not always easy, is it? That there are often hurdles to overcome, even in our intimacy, our relationship uh, with the Lord. As I said at the beginning of the service, uh, there are some Christians who are like Sally Pearson who are just easily overcome hurdles. They're prayer warriors. They don't have any issues with praying. And maybe that's you. And if that is you, wonderful. I'm glad that you're here. Please teach me and please teach the rest of us who do find prayer at times difficult uh, and challenging. Put up your hand if you do find prayer hard at times. Is it just me? No. I'm glad. This message is for you as it is uh, for me as well. So what do we do when we're finding prayer difficult? How can we overcome that difficulty? Well, I think a really good strategy to start with is to try and articulate or identify what are those hurdles that make prayer difficult. And then having understood those hurdles, see how God can help us get over them. So that's what we're going to do this morning. And I'm going to mention three particular hurdles that I've noticed in my own prayer life, but I don't think I'm the only one that has these hurdles. I think that you might identify with them as well. The first hurdle is this. I'm too busy to pray. I'm too busy to pray. And I think that's one of my more overworked excuses when it comes to prayerlessness. And I wonder if you can identify with it as well. Uh, we live in an age of busyness, don't we? We don't live in a contemplative, reflective age where we just sit under the tree and meditate and just ponder the philosophy and meaning of life. We're always busy. 
We're always doing stuff. We're rushing, we're performing, we're trying to accomplish, we're striving. We do, 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 do. And we're exhausted and busy. And it's even, busyness that is, is seen as a virtue by people today. You know, when people ask, how are you? You say, I am busy. And although we may not want to be busy, we are busy. And part of the reason that we're busy is we don't want people to think that we are lazy. We know that laziness is not a virtue, but somehow busyness is. We've got mixed up. And you don't need to be a high-flying business corporate executive to be busy, do you? Stay-at-home mums with little children know what it's like to be busy, to run at 10,000 RPMs all day, chasing after little creatures who are trying to draw on the walls, throwing broccoli across the table, pulling all the books out of the book. Why do children do that? Have you ever wondered why? Did God do it just to enable parents to grow in patience? I don't know. But stay-at-home mums, they know what it's like to be busy. Tradies. You know what it's like to be busy, waking up at the crack of dawn every day of the week, working with your hands on the tools in the heat of the summer day. You know what it's like to be busy. Ministers and Christian leaders, we also know what it's like to be busy. Yeah, we work one day a week, but we can be busy. We move from meeting to sermon preparation to rosters to meetings to conflict resolution to marriage counselling. We know what it's like to be busy as well. And often prayer is just squeezed out. And if we're a mature Christian, we know we ought to pray. We even know how to pray. It's just that we forget to pray because we're too busy. Just don't have time for it today or this week or this month or this term. It just gets squeezed out of our busy life. It's the Martha problem that Jesus identified in Luke's Gospel in chapter 10. Do you remember that encounter with Mary and Martha? Uh, They're in a house and Jesus is there and Mary is just sitting down, listening to Jesus, while Martha is busy, busy, doing, 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 trying to be hospitable and welcome everybody, doing ministry. And Jesus says, what are you doing? You're so busy. Mary is doing what is better, sitting and listening. And sometimes in our busyness, we forget Psalm 46, just being still before the Lord. I've been there, and I wonder if you've been there. Maybe you're there today, too busy to pray. Another hurdle that I found in my own Christian life, and maybe you have as well, I feel too spiritually dry to pray. Too spiritually dry to pray. I'll wait till I feel better, And then I will start praying again. Now, what are some of the reasons that we might be spiritually dry? What triggers that? Well, it could be one of a hundred things, couldn't it? It could be just that we're too busy and sleep deprived. And when you've had little sleep, you see everything with an air of pessimism. And that changes even the way you feel about God. Another person may have said something to you that you dislike. Someone may have hurt your feelings and that has given you an air of spiritual dryness as well. Or there could be that sin that just keeps popping up in your life that you've tried to conquer over many years and it keeps coming up and you just feel weighed down by guilt and shame again and again. And how can I pray to God when I am the person that I am? Or maybe you've been praying 
quite specifically for something and God hasn't answered your prayer. You think, what's the point then? Why bother praying? It just hits the ceiling and it doesn't go any further into heaven. And so I feel spiritually dry and so I stop praying. I've been there at times in my life. Maybe you have as well. A third hurdle that I've noticed in my life and maybe you have as well. I don't need to pray. Now we may not actually say that out loud. I'm such in control of my life and so strong and so wise and so smart. I don't need God. I don't need... We may not say that. But can I suggest that when life is going really well, one of the first things to fall over in our spiritual life is our prayers. Because passively, and maybe even subconsciously, we think that we've got it all together and that we don't need God and we don't need to pray. And there is a warning about that all throughout the scriptures in the Bible. Uh, Let me tell you of an example. Uh, You may have heard of Hezekiah in the Old Testament. Uh, He was a ruler in Jerusalem and he lived at a time when Israel was still fairly strong. Jerusalem was a strong fortified city, but Babylon was growing in its power and influence in the Middle East. It was the new world power at the time. And when Babylon started, metaphorically, knocking on Jerusalem's door with their army, this is what Hezekiah decided to do. Hezekiah was so confident in his own strength and the power of his own army that he didn't inquire of the Lord. He didn't pray, God, there's this new power at our door. What should I do? He just let them in. And he showed the ruler of Babylon all around Jerusalem, the temple, the treasury. He basically gave them an open map of how to invade the city and to take its resources. He was so overconfident that he believed that, of course, Jerusalem wouldn't fall. He didn't call upon the Lord and didn't listen to the Lord. And the result was horrendous. But we often do the same too, don't we? When life is going well, we just forget to pray. We're overconfident. When we need to make big decisions in life, we might talk to other people. We might form even a little committee around ourselves and what should we do? But often we fail to talk to the Lord. You know, even Christian pastors and leaders can do this. We'll form all sorts of ministry structures and committees and councils around us and forget to pray. That's a hurdle that I've noticed and maybe you have as well. So how do we overcome them? And there may be many other hurdles as well. How do we overcome them? I'm assuming that you want to overcome them. That's why you're here listening to a message on prayer. But if you don't want to overcome them, I'd love to be able to talk with you more about why that might be the case. How do we overcome these hurdles? Well, let me show you a video clip of somebody who had a more creative way of overcoming hurdles in the 100 metre race. See what you think of their strategy. What did you think of that strategy? Brilliant. There are hurdles there, I can see them, but nah, they're nothing. I just charge on through them, pretend they're not, move them out of the way, just 
work harder, train harder, just run harder, and there'll be no obstacle uh, to me. How did it go for that runner at the end? Kind of looked like he was getting there, but then would stumble and fall and even finish in the wrong lane. And so often in life, and particularly in prayer, can I say, if our solution to overcoming hurdles is just to run faster, just to try harder, it, it might give us some momentum initially, but if we're doing it just in our own strength and wisdom, it's likely that we're going to trip and fall again and again and lead to even more prayerlessness. We need something more than just our own effort. And that's where I think Paul's little prayer in Philippians chapter 1 actually gives us great wisdom to overcome hurdles uh, in our prayer life uh, this morning and for any part of our life. Let me just put the prayer up on the screen again and read it to you. And it doesn't really mention prayer in the actual prayer, but there are some great resources in here to help us overcome prayerlessness. Let me read it out. Paul says, to this church in Philippi, and I pray this, says Paul, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's a little prayer. And if you just looked at the very first line, you could be forgiven for thinking that this prayer is just that they might grow in love. And that is true, but love is not the end here. Love is the means to an even bigger, can I say, end in that next verse. Yes, that your love will keep on growing so that you can approve the things that are superior or that you can say yes to what is best. That's Paul's ultimate prayer for the Philippians, is that they might say yes to, amongst all the good things in life, they might say yes to the best thing. What is the best thing? According to the Apostle Paul, I think we see a glimpse of it in that next line. Pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of of righteousness. Now we are, if we are Christians, we are declared right with God. And as we live the Christian life, we bear the fruit of that right standing with God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those things, including a healthy spiritual life, a healthy prayer life. That is one of the fruits of being a disciple of Christ. And so what Paul ultimately wants for the Philippians and what I think he wants for us is that we might say yes to what is best and what is best is that we grow to maturity in Christ, that we become more and more like him, that we bear the fruit of the righteousness that we have in him, that we might even grow in our dependence on him, our prayerfulness. So basically, Paul is praying to the Philippians, I pray that you might come to know Christ more and to grow in him and like him even more, including the life of prayer. Now, how do we do that? Well, I think that's that first line. The way that we become mature as Christians, the way that we grow even in our prayerfulness, is that our love will keep on growing 
in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Now that line is interesting. Love with knowledge. Not just love by itself, but love with knowledge. And that's really important because love without knowledge is really just blind enthusiasm. Let me give you an example. I love my wife and I know that she needs caffeine every morning. But if I just walk into the bedroom at 6.30 in the morning and say, here is a bottle of Coke, love, I know you need caffeine. Is that loving? No, it's blind enthusiasm, but it's not loving because Ness doesn't like Coke at 6.30 in the morning. What she needs is what I've dubbed the Nespresso. She needs her coffee with a big spoon of chocolate powder and two or three teaspoons of sugar, which basically is Coke anyway, so I don't know what... Anyway, and that is what she needs to get going in the morning. Love with knowledge. Love without knowledge is just blind enthusiasm, but not necessarily loving. Now, when it comes to what Paul is praying for the Philippians and what I think we need to hear today is that he wants us to grow in love with knowledge so that we become mature in Christ and more fruitful in our prayer life. What does that even mean? Well, the love and the knowledge that we are to grow in in Philippians chapter 1 is a love and knowledge of the gospel of Jesus. Come back with me to verse 3, the beginning of this little letter. Paul says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. It is the gospel that Paul longs for the Philippians both to understand, to love and to grow in. And I think one of the greatest ways that we can overcome hurdles in any part of our spiritual life, our growth to maturity in Christ, particularly in our prayers, is to keep coming back to the gospel, to grow in a knowledge of it and therefore a love of it. And that will give us an energy and a power beyond ourselves to overcome the hurdles in prayer. Let me give you some examples. The hurdle that says, I am too busy to pray. How does a knowledge and love of the gospel help overcome that? Well, you think, what's behind that attitude or thought, I am too busy to pray or I'm just too busy in life? Potentially behind that is a desire to be recognized by others, a desire to be accepted by others. We work hard, we do all the things that we do that so people notice and we are recognized. The trouble is, it's exhausting, isn't it? Because you never know if you've done enough to earn the applause of others. And if you think about it in your relationship with God, some people work so hard, do certain things like Martha for the Lord, hoping to receive some acknowledgement or recognition from God. But again, how do you know if you've ever done enough to get the appraise and applause of God? You don't. And so you keep working and you're just utterly exhausted. Now, the gospel speaks into that and against that because the gospel says... You can't do enough to earn the recognition and applause of God and you don't have to. 
because God still values you and loves you for who you are, even despite all the mistakes that you have made, that he sent his son to live the life that you couldn't and to die to pay the price for your imperfections and failures. And the gospel says, if you give yourself to Christ, God gives you an acceptance and recognition that is above any other recognition and acceptance that people could give you. God says, you are my treasured possession, my beloved child. How amazing is that? We, we long for the applause and recognition of other people, but God says who we are. Is that not enough? If it's not enough, why is it not enough? The gospel says God loves you, God values you, God accepts you. And when you understand that, when you know that, when you love that, you'll pray more. What about the second hurdle? How does the gospel speak into that? I'm too spiritually dry to pray. Well, what again is the attitude or thought behind that statement? It could be that my feelings and my emotions determine what is true and what is real, even in my relationship with God. Our feelings and our emotions are important in our life, but if we use them as the basis for ultimate reality, we're in serious trouble, can I suggest, because I don't know about you, my emotions and my feelings can go like a roller coaster. And if I have to determine reality by how I'm feeling on any given day, oh, that's a horrible place to be in. But the gospel speaks into that and says, no matter how you are feeling, if you have put your trust in Christ, whether you experience Christ or not, if you've put your trust in Christ, God says, you are my child. I love you, even if you don't feel it. You are safe and you are secure. And when you understand that glorious truth of the gospel, even if you don't feel it, you do have a motivation and inspiration to keep on and even those that I've talked to in the midst of deep depression, who if any people find it difficult to pray, it's them. And they've often said one of the things that's kept them going is that they know that God, even if they don't feel him, is still there, willing to listen. What about that third hurdle? I don't need to pray. How does the gospel overcome that? Well, again, what's the attitude and thought behind that statement? I don't need to pray. Well, it's an attitude that says, I've got it all together. I'm in control. I can do all things. Oh, how dangerous that statement is. Because we know that we're not in control of all things. I didn't control my entrance into the world, my mother tells me, and I probably won't control my exit from this world. Let alone do I have any control over the events of life. I think that I do. I think that I have control over the things I do and the things I say, and, and I do at times, but then I say things, I'm like, why on earth did I say that? Or I do things, I'm like, that's not me, why did I do that? We are not in control. But the gospel speaks into that and overcomes that by saying, of course you're not in control. God is the one who is in control of all things. He is the King of Kings. And when you understand that and you submit your life to His rule, not only does it free you from the burden of trying to be in control when you're not, he actually knows what is best and gives you a peace that you cannot have any other way. And when you understand that and love the fact that you don't have to be in control but God is, 
you know what tends to increase? Your prayers. Because when you know you can't do something, but you know God can, you pray. Paul wants the Philippians and he wants us to grow in what's best, to say yes to what is best, including our prayer life. And when we understand the gospel more and more, we can help overcome those hurdles and approve what is best. So how are you going at the moment in approving what is best? You think about your prayer life. How are you going in approving what is best in your prayer life? I don't know about you, but when I'm busy, when I'm feeling spiritually dry, my prayers, I may not stop praying, I'll continue to pray, but my prayers might become all about me and the shopping list of desires that I want God to fulfill. And it's right to pray about those things. Jesus said, you can pray, Lord, give us today our daily bread. It's right to pray those things. But according to Paul, what is best is not just what is best for me, but what is best for Christian maturity in general. Am I praying that I might grow in holiness rather than just happiness? Am I praying that I might grow in the fruit of righteousness? Am I praying that I might grow in proclaiming the glory of God and not just my own? When we're seeking what is best, it can shape the way that we pray even as well. And it's interesting, in all of this, Paul is not just teaching the Philippians what to do. Did you notice how he began? He said, I am praying that this is the case for you. Because all of these things, approving what is best, growing in prayer, is not something that we can do in ourselves. Only God can do it through the gospel of the Lord Jesus. There's this great little story in Mark's gospel, and I think it's in the other gospels as well. Jesus has just been transfigured in glory on top of the mountain, and then he comes down the mountain with his disciples straight into the reality of life in the world, the darkness of the valley, and he sees a small boy who is utterly unwell, demon-possessed. And the other disciples tried to heal him, but they couldn't. And they asked Jesus, why couldn't we heal this boy? And Jesus says, this kind can come only out by prayer. It's almost like the disciples didn't feel the need to pray. They had the magic disciple hands. They could just do anything. And Jesus said, no, you need to believe in God as the one who does all things. You need to pray. And there's this great little line where the dad who's overhearing all this stuff about faith and prayer says to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And I thought, what a great little teaching point that is for us when it comes to prayer. That we 